0: Are you an angel? What? An angel.
1: I heard the deep space pilots talk about them. They're the most beautiful creatures in the universe.
2: Hello there. We are
1: tonight's entertainment.
2: We would be honored if you would join us. He's got... A billion toys. You brought in the doll collection. These are not dolls,
0: Jen. These are commodities. Same as gold or oil. Five, four, three, two, one.
2: You are now listening to the Collecting Weekly podcast.
0: This is the true form of floor gang right here. Very nice. YouTube.com slash Collecting Weekly. Thank you very much. That's very cool. Big, big, big.
1: Hey guys, my name is Zach. I'm Dean. I'm Dylan. And I'm Amy. Welcome to this bonus episode of Collecting Weekly. It's a weekly podcast where my friends and I talk about the things that matter the most to us this week in collecting. That's right. We are joined by a very special guest today. We have Amy Warnick, the general manager of Chronicle Collectibles down here in Texas, the greatest state ever known to man. That's true. Woo-woo. Amy, thank you for joining us today. Dylan, we're trying to bring Dylan down to Texas, but he's being very stubborn. Uh, But yeah, Amy, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining us on our show.
2: Doing well. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome.
1: It's,
0: uh, thank you for for joining us. I didn't really expect it to happen as quick as it did. Um, but I guess if you want, let's just have you kick off. Who is Amy? Um, and then I got a couple follow up questions, just kind of for you personally and your background and everything. But, um, like, what do you right now? You're the general manager for Chronicle Collectibles, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so what does that usually entail in a collecting company like Chronicle? So,
2: oh. so really, uh, I. I actually have a background in theater and film. Um, I went to school to be a musical theater major, and um, I did a lot of lighting and sound when I was in college and after college. Um, and so I, I dove into film. Um, I actually worked on Thor and the Avengers uh, back in the oh, day wow. for Marvel, um, oh, yeah. which was a lot of fun. It was it was so great. Um, but it it gave me a passion for the kind of a different side of the arts than I was really, you know, thinking I was going to go into going into musical theater and dancing and singing everywhere. Mm. Um it just kind of, it, it gave me a different type of passion to be able to connect to people with the same enthusiasm as I am. I'm a nerd. I've always been a nerd. And that's something that is so much cooler to be nowadays, which is so much fun. Um, yeah, you, know, you tell, yeah. you tell somebody 10 years ago that you're a nerd and they're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know about that, <laughs> that's so true. but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> that's that 's always been who I am, and so it's it 's been so exciting to get to connect with other people that have the same passions and that's that 's really what drew me to Chronicle when I first had the opportunity to work here. Um, I was really lucky and, and got in on the ground. Um, I knew one of the business owners, Clay Brown. Um, I worked for him at a different company. Uh, he was an anesthesiologist before he got into collectibles. Wow. Um, so I actually worked at his doctor's office. Um, and he, he looked at me one day and was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm going to start Chronicle and we're going to make this happen. And do you want to be on board? Absolutely. (laughs) So, um, you know, that was, again, that was about six and a half years ago and never looked back. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of background on me.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. That, uh, that took care of my question where I was going to ask, uh, what got you interested in the industry, but, um, that kind of covered that. So what, what do you collect? (laughs)
2: Um, I collect a little bit of everything. Um, I used to be someone who only collected small things, um, kind of little chashki, knickknacks, kind of things. Um, mainly because I didn't, I moved around a lot doing theater and film, and following the, you know, following money like you do when you're young. Um, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily keep big possessions with me. Um, Now that I am married and have a house and, you know, have a stable, a more stable life and career. um, My, my husband who is also a nerd and I love him for it is very helpful keeping me from buying the crazy gigantor things that we make at Chronicle. Um, (laughs) I I will tell, tell you the breakout Raptor that I've got sitting behind my head right here is one of my favorite things that we've ever come out with. And my husband has already told me, Fine. If you want to spend your $500 on that one, I, I will allow you to bring <laughs> that home. So this is this is finally getting to a point where I can you know get the bigger and bigger statues. One of these days there I'll have are. I'll have my nerd cave can't be a man cave because, you know, we'll share it. But, you like know, it'll be part me. of my nerd cave that I can set up all the crazy and, you know have the big seven foot dinosaur in one corner and, you know, have the T-51 with the big old plasma rifle. And yeah, that's, I, I want to collect everything, but I try to collect smaller things that, you know, can be on a shelf somewhere.
0: <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for that. Um Just, and then just to kind of scale it back a little bit, cause we kind of lost you through the, um, <laughs> when we asked the, Question a little bit the first time, but what what does an average day look like for you at work there at Chronicle Collectibles?
2: Um, my average day is is probably the least um, the least consistent than anybody in our job, um, especially right now with all the things going on. We're a little discombobulated, but before COVID, um, you know, my normal day would pretty much consist of starting to starting with checking in with production and making sure they don't need anything from me. Um, and then kind of checking in with our 3 d team, our 3 d printers, our shop. Um, and then most of most of what I focus on is you know kind of more of the businessy side of things, the licensing. Um, i'm I'm the contact with all of our licensed st- studios, video game companies that we work with um so i'll go through and do our our product approvals and you know that kind of stuff um you know in in the time frame right now we're just starting quarter 3 of 2020 so uh, you know a lot of that is doing financials and forecasting and royalties and all the all the paperworky stuff that goes into the business that's not the fun part to talk about but well it's the necessary evils of everything
0: (laughs) yeah to be honest i i know when we spoke on the phone the first time i had i have an appreciation for it being a business student obviously and trying to understand business processes and um the the back end work that goes into it and i have always said i think a lot of um the more collectors are able to understand that side of things the more understanding they are Uh, I think there, I didn't, I always talk about how I didn't join the social media collecting community until about three years ago. And it was a forum. And then I went from that forum and then I started joining the Facebook groups. And that's how I kind of came in contact with collecting weekly. But during that time, it's all like when people are, you know, asking questions like, why didn't they do it this way? Why didn't they do it this way? And it, comes down to a lot of people guessing for a lot of the things. And it's, you know, it's the back end business processes and licensing that a lot of people aren't able to discuss. So I've always found that really interesting and in how it works. Um but so Chronicle Collectibles, you said uh I think you stayed already, but how long have they been around and how many how many employees do you guys have there about?
2: Um so uh now we have 10 full-time employees um we we unfortunately have had to reduce our staff since covid has happened um there's there's shout out to several people that we love and adore that we had to let go um but ultimately we've we've been in business for about six and a half years um we started in october of 2013. we uh our first comic-con was july of 14 but we didn't really have you know, staff and consistent products and, you know, kind of what I would consider a company until really early 2015. Um, the two business owners, uh, that started the business, Clay and Paul, um, did a phenomenal job getting the, the, the work done to get the business started. Um, but we didn't really get to churn out products until 2015. Um, we we acquired a uh, Terminator Genesis license in 2015, and kind of ran with anything and everything that we were allowed to make for Terminator. And it really it was a really exciting time for us because we got to kind of all hit it from the ground up. And it was it it's been really a, a family kind of setting the entire time working here because we all learn yeah. from each other. We all grow from from our experiences together. Um, so it's 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 been a lot of fun, um, and getting to, getting to work with the different studios and, and seeing how the industry really evolves in its own way. You know, even just from 2015 to now, the the industry has changed a lot and, you know, year by year you learn new things and, you know, get, get different processes involved that make things easier to produce or harder to produce, depending on, you know, what you're, what you're working with. Um, so it's, it's really been a a family kind of environment with the company. Um, we try to keep it in, in a prospect of, you know, when we're designing something, uh, you know, note to our production team on this breakout Raptor. I know I keep talking about it. It's just pretty. Um, just the little things like, Hey guys, we, we think that the Raptor pulled out the fence post. So this is how we feel like this would look. We've got cracked concrete. Yeah. We've got, you know, rhubarb, rebarb, not rhubarb. <laughs> I'm hungry, <laughs> obviously. Uh, you yeah, know, I'd we've like- got rebar coming <laughs> out of the the concrete in, in real life ways. And that was really from our 3d team just saying, Hey guys, I think this is something that we could make the piece that much better with. And so it, it, it takes, it, it takes a family and it takes a team to really make everything work. And it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun.
1: Uh, Amy. So Chronicle Collectibles is one of several statue production companies with some of these other licenses. Uh, What sets you guys aside as far as the products you create, your distribution, your customer service. Can you speak on, uh, why people should should do business with Chronicle over some of these other companies?
2: Well, um, without without tooting our horn too much, because I, I never want to come out and say you know we're the best because we're we're not necessarily in in every aspect of anything. Yeah. But I will say we have the best customer service in the industry. Um, big 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 shout out to Heather Ross, our customer service coordinator. She is the reason that Chronicle is still around and that people still trust us and buy from us. She is the most patient, compassionate, loving human being that I've ever been around. I mean, she's she truly she's one of those type of people on a personal level that you just want to be around all the time because she's got a loving smile and just makes you feel good, but but really she cares so much about each and every one of our customers and it cares that they get a good product, that they get what they want to get from that product. And truly, I don't know where our, I don't know where we would be if it hadn't have been for her early on to just have patience and understanding when, when customers didn't necessarily understand why things worked the way they did, or, you know, we've, we've had problems where a piece just didn't, you know, didn't package very well and didn't get to people and in very good condition. And without Heather, man, I just don't think that we would have the reputation that we have in customer service. I mean, she's, she is just, she runs an amazing team and she's just a, a beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, and then I, I think from there, what really sets us apart is the type of products that we do. Um, you know, every everybody can do a statue, everybody can do something that reminds you of something. But where we really wanted to be different, even from the very beginning, we wanted to keep the authenticity and the the feeling of being right there in the moment in every piece that we made. So um early on we we really started trying to gather assets from the different licenses that we had, whether it was gathering them to own them for the company or, or one of the business owners owning them personally, or even you know making contracts to borrow screen used items and prop replicas you know props from films to make prop replicas yeah um, so we've we've really We've really done everything that we could, I feel like, to go back to the original source for every bit of material that we have. So, for example, um, using just our Jurassic Park license as an example, it's one of our bigger licenses, so it's easier to pull from. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, we, we actually went through the process and found the fifth scale maquette that Stan Winston studios made to actually build the giant animatronic dinosaur. So, and so we jealous. actually, we found it in a prop auction and purchased it for our company. And that's what that's we've so molded and cast that to use so for amazing. our full fifth scale, seven foot dinosaur that we actually sell on our website. Um, we've also gone through and um, created, you know, T-Rex busts, and different different items from her you know using using the claws and the toenails and you know her foot imprints mainly because that's what stan winston studios built they literally used this dinosaur to and some trigonometry and a projector to project a, a shadow of this fifth scale maquette onto a wall so that they could create the the 45 foot animatronic dinosaur and actually piece together each part to, to make it what it is in the film. And that, that to me means more than, means more than somebody just saying, I want to make a dinosaur and I'm going to look at this dinosaur and I'm going to do it almost exactly like it. No, we're, we're going back and we're actually going to go to the studio and we're going to find that one so that we can mold and cast that one and make sure it's authentic Um, we've, we've done the same thing for several other pieces. Our Henson team at the Jim, the Jim Henson company is so amazing. They've, they've allowed us to, um, digitally scan puppets from dark crystal and labyrinth to, to be able to get that detail. Um, you know, when you, when you go back and look at the dark crystal as the original film, not the series that just came out, um, but that, that original film, the Skeksis are so terrifying. I mean, I just remember being a child and being utterly mortified at these things. And you yeah. you find out that they're like eight feet tall and they had to cut rivets into the set so that the puppet masters could walk underneath with these giant costumes. And, you know, there's something different about getting to experience all of that within a statue as opposed to, oh, I'm just looking at it. And I'm seeing these wrinkles and these folds. No, I want to take the actual scan of the wrinkles and folds. And I want to feel how I felt as being terrified of those sexies when I was a kid. That's what I want people to to, I want people to be nostalgic when they see our pieces because they're, they're getting to actually experience something else that they had from their childhood. So I, I really do think that's what mainly sets us apart. Our 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 devotion to the nostalgia and making sure that people feel as good as they remember feeling the first time they watched it.
1: Yeah, I uh I had a personal experience with Heather with my Iron Studios Rex. Uh it arrived with some shipping damage, the tail was broken and there was like paint scratches all over it and and some of it wasn't even shipping damage it was like when they were spraying it someone's hair got all over the thing and there was like strands of hair that when I Ew. picked them off there was like bare resin beneath it and uh you know the statue is massive I mean I mean the statue is massive but the box that it comes in is massive and uh you know my options initially was to like my first reaction was like let's just see what it costs to send it back and maybe get a new one And the quote UPS gave me was, you know, astronomically high. When you get to something that big, it's uh, shipping by dimensional weight instead of physical weight. And, uh, you know, I talked to Heather over the period of like two or three weeks um, trying to figure out what I felt most comfortable with, Try to figure out what, what, you know, you guys uh, would be comfortable with. And uh, I was able to pay an artist to come to my house and not have to deal with moving it, uh, repair everything and repaint it. And it's like the highlight of my collection now. And, uh, you know, it's something that I just assumed with some, you know, nightmare experiences with other companies that I was going to have to take this beautiful statue and destroy it uh, and and just probably break my heart to do it. But, uh, you know, it was just a matter of uh, working it with Heather. And, and I obviously she talked to other people on the team to see what could be done. Uh, and it's it's really, like I said, the highlight of my collection. And, and you know, that's not... Um, an experience that others haven't had i know going on the statue groups people that have dealt with heather have nothing but nice things to say about her so uh definitely big shout out to her there uh yeah but that's insane i, I can't believe that you guys got the actual fifth scale maquette that's like if i won the lottery tomorrow the first thing <laughs> i would buy is your fifth scale rex it is one of the greatest statues. how, how big is that
2: it's seven feet long
1: dear god <laughs> it's, huge. it's twice as big as the one i have because mine's 10th scale <laughs> okay. yeah and that on that one the tail isn't wrapped so it's like a full you get the full experience so uh yeah that's uh that's incredible
2: can i tell you guys a, a very quick anecdotal story about the, the fifth scale t-rex
0: sure absolutely
2: We took that to Comic-Con in 2017, and we didn't have a good way to pack it, to ship it, because it was being painted and blah, blah. So I rented a minivan, and I drove it to California from Texas. Um, All things great. It was perfect. You know, got to the show. Everything was grand. Um, On the way back from the show, we are driving driving across West Texas. (laughs) And the largest coyote I've ever seen darts in front of this minivan. And we just, there's a, you know, semi on one side, a ditch on the other. There is no way to go but just to destroy the coyote.
1: I mean that's what you gotta so, do. So
2: that's what you gotta do. Uh so so me and Rexy me and Rexy have some good some good times remembering the coyote incident of two thousand seventeen. Um so I just oh, I needed man. to share that. So every time you guys see our seven foot dinosaur, you can just think of of her, you know, as my companion in the back driving oh, no. across Texas before smearing <laughs> oh yeah, smear smearing the coyote all over yeah. the car oh, and she before, was five.
1: Before anyone gets too man, that's
0: actually the <laughs> safest thing to do. Is oh yeah. To, is yeah. I mean, cause we live down here. I mean, everyone but Dylan is from Texas here, so there's a lot of animals and deers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they tell you like, <laughs> just keep going, cause. It's, we have, it's the safest thing you can do. Right. Yeah, we have a lot of deer in North Dakota, too. And they, Absolutely. They, in driving and I, classes, I just thought you guys would actually, find that
2: funny. And the dinosaur was fine. She had no damage. There was no problems Thank whatsoever. God. But, Thank you know, God. she and I just get to laugh about it every now and again.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Go ahead, Dylan. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah, go. I can
1: hear you. Can
0: you hear Dylan? Um... Can you yeah. hear me? Amy? Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, in North Dakota. That's just, that's oh, one no. of the things Maybe they even instruct you crap.
1: in. Uh-oh. Dylan, Uh-oh. click out and click back in. Got it. <laughs> no, can I, you know. I can Wait, hear no, you no, 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 no. Oh, I can hear
2: you Don't. I got it. I got it.
0: Are we good? Yeah. yeah. We good? yeah. yeah. We're good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, even in driving classes in North Dakota, that's what they instruct us to do is get, Hit the animal and oh, no. so 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 the rex was okay
2: yeah she was she was just fine i mean the worst the, really the worst part about it was having to wait on enterprise to bring us another vehicle because mm. you know i have this seven foot dinosaur that i now need to unpack from the oh, back God. of the destroyed vehicle <laughs> and put it in a new vehicle and so you know they were trying to tell me to oh we can bring you a durango we can bring you a ford escape and like no no you guys don't understand i need a cargo van or i need like a giant minivan this thing is seven feet long and she can't go on the top of the car i'm sorry
1: like we got a t-rex we gotta we got a, yeah
2: we've got a (laughs) t-rex Sorry to sideline the conversation. I no, just thought okay. you'd find that funny.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, that's a, that's a good story.
1: Uh, so as far as your distribution goes, I know we talked about it a little bit before the interview, uh, but now uh, Sideshow is distributing some of your products and you guys are also distributing for uh, other companies. How does all that stuff work? I know you mentioned earlier that there's, Uh, the license has kind of been split, uh, country to country, uh, and different people are now able to make some Jurassic park items. Uh, can you explain a little bit about how that stuff
2: works? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, before we get into kind of licensing and territories, when it comes down to Jurassic and and specific licensing side, let me hit on your distribution question real quick. Um, all of... All of the collectibles companies that I know of, like us, that started out making product, um, I feel like end up wanting to be a lot more like Sideshow, who is – Sideshow is, is what everybody compares to because they've been in the industry the longest. They're the, the widest known. They're the largest. And, and let's be honest, they put out beautiful products. So everybody wants to be like them and, and strives to be able to put out the type of quality that they do. Um, but sideshow kind of broke the mold, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because not only did they make really beautiful stuff, they started importing really beautiful stuff from hot toys and, you know, all of these other workshop from New Zealand and, you know, all of these other places that we couldn't necessarily get items that were gigant or from Australia, New Zealand, Japan. Um, so sideshow really kind of opened the door for Companies like us, who make stuff to then sell other people's products, as opposed to um, like Diamond Comics and Big Bad Toy Store, um, those are are mainly, you know, wholesalers that will always go out and and buy other people's stuff to be able to distribute. Um, so they they don't have as many restrictions because they they don't have specific licenses on their own. Where we run into weird. Um, just specifically in our experiences kind of goes back to where we were going with the Jurassic and the licenses and the territories. Um, when we started in 2015 on the Jurassic license, um, we were really the only company in the industry asking for it because Jurassic World hadn't come out yet. There there wasn't necessarily a big push there for the next three films. And so we, we just kind of were – you know, we want to make dinosaurs. That'd be really fun. Um, once Jurassic World came out, and you know they were they released there were going to be two other films behind it. Obviously, there was a huge re you know reswell of interest in Jurassic Park and the the Jurassic franchise. Um, so Universal Studios had a ton of companies coming out of the woodworks wanting to be able to make licensed product. And so instead of instead of our original license that was a worldwide territory, basically just meaning that we could sell kind of wherever, um, we had no restriction for com- for country, um, they decided that with the upswell of interest, they were going to give the opportunity to a lot of different companies to be able to become licensees and make licensed product um but that also meant that you know they didn't want everybody trampling all over each other's spaces so they they did what we kind of call in the industry you know carving out the territory and they basically said okay universal america you get to choose your licensees and you get to you know tell them where they can sell I'm universal Japan. So I'm going to get with prime one and prime one's going to make really beautiful Jurassic park stuff. And then, you know, in you know Europe, well, we can go get our own licensee. And so we, we saw about, I guess, 2017, early 2018, we were seeing a lot of different people gaining the, the Jurassic license and the way that when, when you do the carve out of licenses, you do try to be good partners to other people because in theory, as a Jurassic park licensee, of course, I want Jurassic Park to do well if Jurassic Park does well, then I inherently do well, and my customers love it, so everybody's happy yeah, so it it kind of it was a it was a new thing for us because we we kind of were requested to look into doing distribution for other licensees, Prime One, Iron Studios, um, you know, some of the other Jurassic licensees. And we did, uh, we, we did do that and we did bring those in. And in the process of the last, I don't know, probably six months before COVID, um, it was just kind of recognized that everybody in the territories we're kind of overlapping, and everybody wants to fight for US territories. Everyone wants to fight for China territories. And it's, I think it got to be too convoluted. So yeah. it seems like things are moving back to hey, we're just going to give you guys this specific size. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, hey, Iron Studios, now you guys can do 10th scale, but you only get to do 10th scale. Okay. Hey, Chronicle. Yeah you guys can keep doing this, but you only can do one-to-one half scale and prop replicas between 200 and $500 or, you know,
1: they, yeah. they can,
2: yeah. So they can get really specific, which right. sometimes protects you as a collectibles company. I mean, um, there's, uh, I'm trying to think of a very specific one that I, it just blanked my head. Um, Conan, um, You know, with with Code and the Barbarian kind of coming back to uh, back to mainstream excitement um, with the new comic book series and everything that's been going on, um, you know, we've seen we've seen some other licensees basically want to do the exact same things that we're planning. And the nice part is, since we've got those territories and those products specified in our licenses, because You know, they try that all of the studios really do try to make it fair. So they, you know, cabinet had to tell somebody, hey, you can't do that piece because we've already approved it for somebody else. And we've been told the same thing. You know, we've we've been told that, you know, hey, guys, we can't let you do that T-Rex because, hey, somebody else is doing that one. No problem. Um, it is, you know, it's always kind of fun to see what other people come up with, but it's always disappointing, too, when you when you get beat to the line with something oh, that you yeah. thought was a really cool idea.
1: Mm-hmm. It happens a lot in our circle.
2: <laughs> it yeah. does. It does. It's a small world inherently, though, yeah. so it, it's bound mm-hmm. to happen every now and again.
0: Yeah, and I can see that with the age of collectors now, I can see that license, it, like for Jurassic Park, for example, really growing recently um yeah. but so how how much i guess uh going into the manufacturing side of things how much does that manufacturing s- statues differ from manufacturing 1-6 scales or life side props and i would say one scale figures but we're not able to discuss that right now um but the difference between all of them i guess what is the what's the best way to to explain how they, how tough it is with all of them.
2: It's, it's really kind of um, each different type of product is almost like its own different fruit. So when you say, you know, you can't compare apples to oranges, it's really hard to compare like a six scale or a 12th scale articulated piece with a statue, because it really is like an apples to oranges situation. Um, and I promise you guys, I want to, I want to say a shout out to everybody listening Um, I do want to share news about our 12th scale line, and I want to share so much more information with you guys. I know that you tuned in today specifically to hear us talk about that. Um, we have been requested to hold off on more information, um, from the licensor from universal. So we would, we just want to, I wanted to say it out loud that I promise you we'll come back and, and talk about that a little bit more when I've got a little more leeway to do so. Um, But so to, to kind of take an articulated figure versus a statue, um, the, the statue in, in and of itself, um, I consider easier, even though it's really not my production manager might listen to this and go, Oh my God, she's crazy. Um, but, uh, the, with our statuary specifically, um, we, you know, a lot of a lot of the work that we do is either molded directly from something, or it's pulled from a digital asset that we've been provided from a studio or from. Um, you know, we we do work with ILM on some of our licenses, so we do get some really high quality digital models. And so we'll take we'll take a cast. Um, so when you've molded something, you basically pour resin or whatever material that you're going to be painting into that mold and recreate it or you 3d print whatever you're working on. And so you've already got a basis of a solid piece to be able to go through and paint. And, you know, for example, uh, uh, like Kurgan, um, you know, with all the armor and all the bits that are going on with him, we do keep some of those in pieces to be able to paint so that the paint can, you know, can overlap in the, in the way that it's supposed to, but it's all one solid piece. Piece, and when a you know when a statue is coming together, you end up with one singular, non-moving article. And so, when I look at the production manufacturing side of that part, we basically will send uh, several different steps to the factory. But when we send a new product to the factory, we send what we call a mold master. And that is an unpainted version of the statue or the piece that we're sending to be manufactured. And a lot of that is in pieces. Um, you know, I, I made mention, you know, we will keep them in pieces to paint and things like that, but those mold masters are essentially where the factory can take it and recreate right from that mold master. Yeah. So, you know, when we're, when we're doing a statue, it's, it's that kind of laid out. And so we're, we're sending a mold master, we're sending a paint master, we're sending photos and a factory can, can line all those up and, and kind of look at it pretty easily with an articulated figure with the, the sixth and 12th scale figures that are on the market right now, those highly detailed, super poseable, real clothing kind of figures. There are tons of different things that go into it on top of, all of the steps that you already do for making a statue, because you're already making the statue. You've got to do all the same parts of that. But then you also have to engineer all of the joints that all of these things work together in. And you need to engineer whether or not the clothing is going to be sewn to the figure or if it's going to be sewn and then put on the figure. And it it seems crazy to think about it, but when you're, you know, it, I have... When I was a kid, I had a growth spurt that was really crazy, and one you know, one spring, I could wear this really awesome jacket that I loved and adored, and then the next fall, I couldn't wear it anymore because I'd grown six inches, but you, you think about trying to fit yourself into something a little too small, and you kind of just get caught in it, that same exact thing is something we actually have to think about when we're making an articulated figure, because if somebody wants to take off that clothing from the figure they're going to have to put it back on. And so yeah. if you if you don't want it removable, you actually have to physically sew it onto the figure so that it's not removable. And there's things like that 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 I didn't really even think about when we were starting the articulated figure lines and Thankfully, our production team is amazing. Dean Tolliver, Jared Chapman, Ernie Ariata. I mean, they, they've come up with some really incredible ways of making these dinosaurs work. Um, we're doing articulated raptors right now, and everybody's yeah. seen the, the six-scale articulated raptor that we've got on our website. Um, that, is, that has been an intricate, really specific product that I didn't think would be so, uh, so difficult. (laughs) Yes. Right there. Um, so one of the things that I thought was really cool, um, you know, in a statue format, you do the same thing with a raptor. You take off the bottom jaw and the tongue of the raptor so that you can paint the inside of the mouth. She's got to be painted every, you know, nobody's going to want, you know, a non mouth looking thing. So if it's already disconnected, our team decided, okay, well, she should be able to open and close her mouth. And so they've actually rigged a joint in the back of her mouth so her tongue can move up and down so that when her mouth moves up and down to close, the tongue moves out of the way with the with the jaw. Yeah. You know, when we're saying, when they when our production team looks at me and says, hey, we need to make this jaw articulated, great, okay, so you just make a, you know, make two pieces and put them together, right? It works that easy? No. They've, they've actually gone through and physically engineered the movements so that when the factory turns around and is trying to engineer those different parts for the the tooling process to make the actual metal molds that will do the, the PVC pieces. Yeah. Um, it's it's so detailed and there's so many different things that go into it that I really never even considered before we started these pieces. And I, I think that's one thing that I would love for more people to understand. Um, more of the collectors, I, I really want to you know take one apart one day and show everybody like, okay, look, this is this is all the different pieces that go into it. There's like 40, 50 that would different be pieces. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it um I, it, as far as uh going from a, a master copy, like you said, and sending it to a factory for production, um, I've heard the term I th- I believe on your live streams like a counter sample being sent to you yeah. guys and being shown. Um, mm-hmm. how involved is that process to go from the master to the I guess like the reproduction that people will get? Do you guys actually go to the factory or do you just send them like detailed instructions? Um like, how do you get from the master piece uh, that is the the prototype to, um, you know, the the production sample? And what level of quality losses is, is I guess somewhat acceptable for a master to a, a actual produced piece?
2: That's a really good question. Um, so, uh, we we generally expect um, we well we expect from our factories at least eighty five percent of our prototype. So when we send, when we send a paint master, we try to go super, super detailed because we know, you know, things are going to have to be simplified when you're making a run of a thousand T-Rexes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they can't take two weeks to paint it like our prototype painters can. Um, So we, we expect our prototype painters to paint it to the nth degree of detail because we, we basically won't accept a counter sample that's not at least 85 percent of our gotcha. master. And so the the process involved with that, and I'm so glad you asked about the counter sample because um, a lot of I don't think a lot of people realize what that is and what takes so long sometimes um, when we send our masters to the factory, um, they take those mold masters and then they you know try to recreate, prototype that we've sent them. And without, without the step of the counter sample, you would probably wind up getting things that were just a little off all the time. Um, the counter sample is really specifically for the factory to say, okay, here is our proof of concept that we can produce what you sent us and we've been really lucky um i think there's been only one piece in the entirety of our time um that was not that was so off of our paint master that we actually moved it to a different factory and that was the a long rounds. long time ago no <laughs> no um it was it was um well one it was the Sid Mead blaster and uh we oh, we've no.
1: was we've... that the but one that okay. was 2D to the 3d Yes. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, Adam Savage is talking about that one. It's incredible.
2: Well, and it that has been uh, – I'm so sad to say that is that is almost ready at the second factory that it was at. Yeah. Um, We should be shipping that very, very soon, and I'm so excited to see it completed because we legitimately spent probably six months going back and forth with the first factory, and they just couldn't ever get it right. I mean it yeah. was flimsy. It was – it felt like a 1999 Mattel toy that you would go pick up on a target shelf. And it, yeah, that's just not one that is not up to, up to snuff for Sid Mead. That's not up to snuff for Blade Runner. That's, you know, it's, it's gotta be more substantial than that. So we, we pulled it from that first factory and sent it to the one that produced it this time. And, you know, we're very happy with that. But that counter sample is so important because of that, I mean that particular example if if a factory sends us back a counter sample that looks eighty five percent or above, we'll sit and pick it apart and because there's always something, some minor detail that our painters or our sculptors knew to look for. That maybe we didn't point out, or maybe the factory just missed that tiny detail. There's yeah. always a little bit of something that you just need to say. Okay, we need to make sure this is this is good. Um, but when when we get that counter sample, if it's beautiful, if it's perfect, or you know if it just needs a couple of different notes, we make those notes, send them back to the factory. If it's something really really minor, like hey, just make sure that that's actually a nostril instead of you know a sealed over hole. You know, fine. We can just do that in pictures, but if it's you know a really specific change, um, something like our RoboCop bust, um, our one-to-one RoboCop bust, uh, we we just didn't really like how the mouth turned out, and so we we sculpted it entirely and actually had them yeah. send us a second counter sample so that we could see that major change in it. Um, mm-hmm. So it sometimes we have them remake a counter sample, sometimes not. The cute little raptor hatchling. I think we went through five different counter samples to make sure you know everything was correct in the way that we wanted it. Mm -hmm. And that that's really small. It can be anything small. Like, hey guys, I want the raptor hatchling to be able to be removed from the base, and I just you know I want it to be something that you can cosplay with and walk around with. Yeah. Well, the the first time they did that they had a pin, like a, you know, a key at the bottom of the egg that would stick down in the base. And so, yeah, it removes from the base, just like we asked, but I I don't want somebody to have to carry around something protruding from the egg. I'd rather have the key go the other way. And so, you know, you've got a little hole that the magnet sits into, but you can still take it off the base and carry it around. And so it it can be, you know, things that are fairly simple. We just want to see it physically again before we say, yep, we're gonna pay you to go forward with the production. And we want it that we want them all to be this. Yeah. Um so really that counter sample stage is is so very important. And I know yeah. we we don't always make it as important as it should be, probably. Um, and we we really should kind of tell people a little more about the details of what we're looking for on those counter samples. Cause that's yeah. really, I mean, that's what it's for. Um, mm-hmm. And that's then the from the, thing
1: with, uh... Oh, I'm sorry, please go
2: ahead. Oh no. I, I was going to go a little off. I mean, kind of more on the licensing side of it. Yeah. Those counter samples are what we put in for pre-production approvals. And so, you know, if that counter sample isn't good enough for me, then I definitely don't want to send it on to the licensors to have them look at it before I am comfortable with it. So, you know, the other side of it too, we can think it looks beautiful and we send it on for pre-production approval and the, and universal, or, you know, Jim Henson can say, Hey, we need that to be different. We need this to say this, we need this to be like this. And Hey, if the licensor says, do it, we do it. Um, so I'm sorry, I interrupted you no, with a no, no, question okay. about manufacturing. Um,
1: I know you had mentioned on the six scale stuff that there might be some cases where you actually stitch down parts of the outfit to the body. Uh, with mm-hmm. the Alan Grant, is that something that you guys are going to be actually attaching things to the body? Or for this figure, uh, I guess I'm coming at this from the point of like a customizer. A lot of times people undress their figures, change the body, add some padding, etc. How workable will this dr grant be once it's in people's hands if they want to uh make subtle changes to what you guys have, have given them
2: awesome um with dr grant specifically um for I, I guess it was the 90s clothing style but his clothes are a lot looser in that film and so we've we've replicated that on him specifically you will be able to to move around the clothing yeah. um specific things like I don't think you'll be able to unroll the the cuffs in his sleeves. I'm pretty mm. sure those are tacked down. Um but you know, things like untucking his shirt, he probably will be able to untuck his shirt because we've got a tech belt that goes around him that actually, you know, kind of adjusts that way. Okay. So um yeah, and, and especially with the uh, – there's several different hands that he comes with. Mm-hmm. So since you can pull the hands and the boots off, I, I'm pretty sure you could get those pants off.
1: Yeah. Um, the difference here between the two heads, one has the hat permanently attached and one is without the hat? Yes. Okay. We yes. were When we first talked about our show, I was like, I don't know what the difference is. And I think it was Dean that pointed out, like, oh, yeah, it looks like – one is with the hat one is without that makes a lot of sense that we don't have to deal with a separate hair piece and getting it to fit just right that's uh that's a good good compromise there
0: so real quick just a quick little licensing question on these ones specifically so jurassic park um is all the licensing handled by universal studio or is it some of the the actors or how does that work
2: that is a beautiful question as well um a little bit of, of all of the above um, specifically with Jurassic Park. Um, Amblin Entertainment has to be involved in all of the licensing processes as well because um, uh, they get they get not overriding approval but, you know, everybody wants Spielberg's involvement from beginning to end. So they want to make sure that they're, you know, actually doing things the way that he wants them to. So not only does Universal Studios get a chance to review um, and they've got several layers of review process um universal's got a jurassic specific team that is you know experts in jurassic that'll go over things with a fine-tooth comb and then they've got a compliance team and a legal team that'll go through and just kind of make sure there's not anything crazy um, one of you know one specific example of that is the barbasol partnership um, i don't know if you guys know this uh, the prop master did not ever ask permission to use a Barbasol can in, in Jurassic Park. And so when when that was used and became a super well-known prop in the film, Barbasol got a little bristled because they didn't get asked, <laughs> they didn't get royalties, they didn't awesome. get anything. And so, you know, it, it that was kind of a... a hush hush subject when we first got the license it was like hey can we do the cryo can they're like yeah no we we're not gonna we're not gonna do that and thankfully that has obviously changed you guys have our our cryo can up there um (laughs) so that thankfully has been worked out and you know universal did that with barbasol they're all kosher yeah everybody's happy so you know it's it's been a lot of fun with Universal, they've got several different layers because it's a big old license, it's a really popular brand. And then Amblin takes a look at it. And I I can't tell you whether or not Mr. Spielberg actually looks at all of our products himself, but he probably has a team of people that know what he likes and what are, you know, what his stipulations are. So they have a chance to go through and approve it. And then it comes back to us with with notes and everything like that. Um, and then to put on top of it, when you involve an A-list actor, um, difference between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Jurassic Park filmed in '92, hit theaters in '93. It wasn't it wasn't as popular back then to do rights for your likeness and do yeah. what we call merchandising rights uh, for actors specifically. But fast forward to 2016 in Jurassic World, Chris Pratt is a pretty well-known actor, and he wants to make sure that he's not looking all crazy in, you know, action figures and things. Yeah. So, and I just use Chris Pratt as an example. He's been amazing to work with, and his team is so amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I I don't want to say that incorrectly because they were super awesome to work with. Um, But, uh, you know, if if we ever wanted to try to do a Bryce Dallas Howard, um, we would probably need to go to her team specifically and make sure that she signed off on her license and and likeness, excuse me, not her license, (laughs) um, her um, just to make sure that, you know, they're happy with everything going on. Um, So it it kind of actor specific isn't always, you know, a necessity, but definitely anybody that's got um, involved
1: uh oh. Tech difficult. I think her headphones may have just cut off. Yeah. She. Okay. Here we go.
2: Hey, there you go. Can you all still hear me? Yes. Okay. I'll I'll just talk a little louder so I'm I'm not fading out here. No, it's okay. Um, but yeah, so most of the time, um, it's just studio and then specific, uh, distributor studio or you know a specified entertainment studio. Um, and then every now and again, the actors have the merchandising rights to be able to say, yeah, I don't want my face used that way. Thanks, though. Um, so it it it's you kind of just got to check all the T's and dot all the I's and make sure you're making everybody happy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you guys have other figures that you guys would like to make for the six scale license? Um,
2: oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: I know Dylan put on the show sheet a Tyrannosaur in six scale. Uh, how far do you guys want to go with that?
2: Who, Tyrannosaurus six scale? Do you guys realize how big that would be?
1: Well, that's what I told Dylan. <laughs> but um, Dylan, Dylan is—he's uh, a dreamer. He's a dreamer. Bless his heart.
2: I, uh, Dylan, I'm loving your dreams, man. <laughs> Keep dreaming. But I know we're never going to be able to do a six scale T-Rex, and the only reason being that six scale T-Rex. Would be roughly six feet long, right? Yeah. And then she would have all the articulation points, so you'd have this big tail, massive.
1: It would be able to swing
2: and like, you know, it would be kind of fun. You know, the little two T. Rex claws, like, but you know, have have these big old feet and everything that that just that terrifies me to think about trying to make that. I
1: would. I would love a six scale Hammond. That would be like the greatest thing. And even just the full cast in six scale. That's, that's uh, what I was going to And uh, Ian Malcolm. I think that'd be fantastic.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Is there, is there a single character that is that, you know, ahead of time due to licensing that just won't happen in the, in the six scale line.
2: Oh, um, you know, I don't know. I don't think there is an actor or I don't think there's a character that we would be stipulated against doing. It would uh-huh. really more be if we felt like we could justify the sales. And then mm-hmm. we would just to just make sure um, like specifically I know with David Attenborough, um, he you do need to do something for him. And I don't know that it's specifically like, go to his estate and say, may I do this? I think it's more along the lines of, is this okay? Here's my sculpt, as long as Universal and Amblin sign off on it, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but there's, uh, man, I mean, I, I've i always really liked Muldoon. I, I think he's hey. a really interesting character. Yeah. Um, and there's there's not as much development of him in the movies as there is in, in books. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just think he was such an he's such an interesting character that I really would be excited to do him in Sixth Scale. I don't know if he is, you know, a popular enough character, um, you know, also from uh, The Lost World, Roland Timbo. Oh, I'm not my sure.
1: goodness. Yes.
2: Yeah. You know, the B-list the yes. characters. Um, I, you know, I would want stuff like that in my collection. So, you know, that's, I'm hoping that maybe that is how we can go about and do 12th scale on and make all of those cool, you know, character lines. Um, but specifically, I mean, um, the, what we've really more talked about with the articulated stuff is, is what dinosaurs we can get away with. Mm Um, you know, the other, the other side of doing Jurassic Park in an articulated format is mainly, you know, Hot Toys, Sideshow. They uh, 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 start with an M and I'm not trying to forget you. You have amazing product. Uh, NECA, sorry. Yeah,
0: NECA.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, there are some amazing articulated figures out there, but they're all people. And yeah. to be really honest, you know, we we know that we're probably not gonna come out of the gate having as amazing quality of a six scale person as a hot toys figure. But I yeah. can guarantee you that our our dinosaurs are gonna be amazing.
1: Yeah, I know um, Dylan's really, really excited for that. Oh,
0: <laughs> I'll admit, Amy, I came out and said that I would have paid any amount of money you guys would have asked for for that. That was... That was the main... My main um, toys I grew up with. And, like, I grew up with the... With, with the three Jurassic Park movies pretty heavily involved in there. And I... I had just waited this long. So I guess that kind of goes back... Why do you think that you guys are the first wants to come up with the 6 scale high end 6 scales it's some of the challenges that involves doing a high end velociraptor and which is probably much different than a than a huge like a let's say like a human figure
2: yeah um i would I, I, that really is boiling down to complexity and the mm-hmm. amount of money that you throw at it um so when you're when you're working with people there are a plethora of different bodies that you can source for six scale and 12th scale for people.
1: That is very true. Yeah.
2: So, you know, you go, you, you basically find the factory partner that you want to work with and you get their bodies and you go, you, you basically use what they have available to you already. And we can't do that with the animals. And it one, it makes it that much more complex. But it also, I don't know that there's ever really going to be a good format to use a generic a generic creature. Because even if we build the inner working and the tooling for the Velociraptor, yeah. the Velociraptor isn't even going to move the same as the Dilophosaurus. And mm-hmm. so we, we really don't feel like we are going to be able to use a yeah. lot of that positioning even across the whole dinosaur line. So I think I think really the big challenge is that, you know, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna throw yourself into Jurassic Park, like we are and go, yep, we're gonna do dinos And we're gonna we're gonna do yeah. articulated dinosaurs across the board. If you're only wanting to do one two a year tops then, okay, fine. Maybe you just don't do the creatures because it's that much harder to do the inner workings of all of it and make it all move. Um, okay. So it's, I really I really think it's probably been, hey, we can make so much more money over here by doing this thing, or we could try to see if we can make this thing work. And And to be honest, the way we looked at it was, if we're not going to do it, nobody's going to right and so the you know one we're fascinated by it two we want to do it but three again if we don't do it i don't know that somebody else will and and man i want a posable raptor i want a poseable, <laughs> poseable copy man like a little, yes. little compy copy that i can have like running up and attacking people that would be i amazing. think that would be awesome um so i i really think it's it's been a you know i feel like if, if hot toys wanted to do it and wanted to take on the challenge they would do it really really well because they're amazing Yeah, i just also think they probably just don't want to try they probably just yeah. don't want to have to deal with it all
1: yeah uh one of our listeners here asked will the dinosaurs be pvc or will they have a material-based skin like the hot toys alien
2: Ooh, that is a very good question. Um, We've actually talked about doing it both ways, and I do not know the answer to that. I'm the worst person with the first question I can't answer.
0: Um, (laughs) So, you
2: know, yeah, it, it, um, I know most of it will be PVC, but since they're asking the specific question about the skin-like overlay I know we've priced it both directions and I'm not entirely sure which way we decided to go.
1: Maybe on our follow up, we can uh, talk about that. Yeah. More. Yes.
2: Yes. And please. I will, I will make note to ask my production manager about that. Cause he will know right off the bat.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. And this can be a simple, real quick, yes or no question, but has the six scale line, Dr. Grant and Velociraptor done, done well so far?
2: you know i not as well as i was really hoping and it's not that it hasn't done well i think it has done well um i was really hoping that we were going to see you know thousands of sales and i think i think there's several several of those hundred people that are kind of maybe waiting until we get it yeah. out on the market it's a big thing
1: yeah, the big thing with six scale collectors, especially for a company that's you know getting into it, and not only that, but getting into it with a really amb- ambitious figure, um, they, they tend to wait until people have it in hand and do reviews of it, um, until they commit. Um, again, just because it is you guys' first outing into uh, six scale. Um, oh, yeah. So for me personally, I could see that being a reservation for people. Um, but I, uh, I think it looks fantastic. I know the prototypes look really good. Um, the, uh, the paintwork looks really good, but as far as, you know, whether that'll translate to the release product, that's like the big thing from talking to a lot of people on six scale, they're just like, not really sure if they're going to commit to the, the price point, you know, without seeing it in hand first. So what tends to happen from what we see is like when things don't get pre-ordered, they don't get produced as much. And then once it comes out, if it's fantastic, the secondary market price just skyrockets because everyone's trying to get in on that figure. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that doesn't end up being the case. Uh, You guys did announce last week, the breakout Raptor. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that one? I think that's one that you're really excited about.
2: I am. Um, I really, really like this piece, this, this is a statue. Um, so it, it is not articulated, but, um, our, again, one of our things that we talked about was kind of what puts us apart is we, we like the authenticity of everything. And so when, when we were talking about something new and exciting and something different that we could put out on the market right now, um, we really, we kind of were tossed back and forth with maybe trying to do an herbivore or, you know, some kind of other exciting scene. But our chief 3 d artist Dean kind of said, Hey, guys, what about when the Raptors break out of their pin? We don't see it in the movie, but everybody knows that it happens. What if yeah. we tell that story? And it, it's just been a really exciting, cool thing to be able to create an off-camera scene from the film. Um, not only was Universal really excited about this, we actually, um, we've worked with a guy named Glenn McIntosh that works for Inter- Industrial Light & Magic, um, uh-huh. the the EFX, or the FX company that works on the Jurassic films. Um, Glenn was the designer for the animatronics for the IREX. He did all of the IREX design. And so he helped us do our final battle IREX T-REX fight. And so when we came up with this breakout raptor idea, we reached out to him and said, Hey, Glenn, what do you think about this? We, We just, we think this would be a cool pose. And Dean and Glenn got to kind of work in their magic and came up with this really awesome pose that you see her in you almost can feel that she and her sisters have just clawed their way up the wall, ripped that bracket down, and clever Girl is sitting there right up on top, like, yep, okay, coast is clear, ladies, let's go. And it's just a really neat in-world piece for me and, and something just different that we haven't done before.
1: I love everything about this. It's fantastic, and I think the the sign here on the left, is that a Chronicle-exclusive pre-order bonus?
2: It is, and I, I should have said something about that, but um, I, it's that was such a cute little, I don't know, kind of last-minute thought from us of just, uh-huh. hey guys, we should probably make this look like some part of the raptor pin, and I, I honestly don't even know who came up with the no photography, no feeding the animals thing, but that racks me up so much I mean yeah. when we first started talking about this it was just gonna be a little paddock sign and you know it was very simple and then I saw these photos come out for our website and like oh yes yeah that's,
1: that's from the bet. they actually made those no, those no signs for the for the actual set so those are those are from the film but they're hilarious like who would in their right mind go up there and try to feed like a tyrannosaur or a <laughs> raptor <laughs> <laughs> what uh what scale is this in?
2: It is about night scale. Oh, um, okay, one night scale. So we when we were first trying to put her into a into a scale.
1: Oh no. Oh no. Let's get another phone call. She's a popular lady. Mm-hmm. Popular.
2: <laughs> I'm so sorry guys. I'm back. It's okay. <laughs> Um, so, uh, when we, when we were first trying to size her, um, we, we really liked the six scale size, but it, it just seemed like it was going to take up a giant amount of space on somebody's desk, on somebody's shelf. Uh Um, you know, it's six scale. That Raptor is a little over two feet long, um, when her tail is straight like that. So we just kind of decided, you know what, let's, let's keep the retail price point down, let's make her one ninth scale. And when you put this statue next to the Owen and Blue statue that we came out with several years ago, um, uh-huh. it is, the Odin Blue statue is very much in ninth scale. Um, yeah. When you put her right next to that particular piece, the Clever Girl Raptor is just the tiniest bit bigger than Blue. Nice. I was actually thinking that we did that as like an accident. And then what I've actually found out from the production team is that Clever Girl is a bigger raptor than Blue. The JP1 and 2 raptors are actually physically larger than the Blue Echo Charlie and Delta in the Jurassic World series. I don't know if that's an evolutionary thing that maybe we just don't know about in the plot of the story. Or if it just, you know, as as they were evolving the sisters of Blue Charlie Echo and Delta, maybe they decided that they needed to make them a little leaner and a little meaner. Because um, when you when you do look at the physicalities between the raptors in the in Jurassic Park and then the raptors in Jurassic World, there are very very subtle differences but one of which is that blue is a little smaller than clever girl. And so I, I just thought it was a, you know, a sizing thing because we printed it at that specific size, but no, it's, it's actually that our team went through and said, Nope, right now, she's the same size. We got to make her a little bit bigger. Cause it's gotta be right. It's gotta be a little more specific than that.
1: Yeah. Um, one more question. I know uh, you obviously have been so generous with your time today. Um, but uh, with COVID going on, a lot of the big conventions this year have been canceled. Uh, are you guys going to do any sort of digital version of Comic-Con, of a digital booth of things that you would have shown uh, at SDCC? And if so, how can our listeners check those uh, those reveals out?
2: Awesome. Um, we, we are planning on doing a virtual Comic-Con of sorts. Um, I don't think that we've actually... Like worked out what we're gonna do each day. Um, we've tossed around presenting new items each day of Comic Con. We've also kind of discussed doing full wraps of different items during Comic Con that people may not have seen yet. Um, you know, again, we're really hoping that the Sydney Blasters are gonna be on the water by that point, so we would be able to talk about that particular final sample that we've gotten in. Um, we're expecting the counter sample for the Enterprise-D pretty much any day now. So we were, in theory, really hoping that that might get here before Comic-Con. I don't, I don't think it will at this point. Um, but we're kind of tossing around a bunch of different things that we are going to do. Um, but we are planning on doing something. Um, it will involve, most likely involve some kind of sale, um, some kind of, of new announcement, and last but not least, if, if at the very least during the week of what would have been Comic Con, I want to be able to tell you guys yay or nay on this whole 12th scale thing that's going on ambiguously in the background. Um, so we'll, um, you know, we're, we're really pushing to have a bunch of new stuff for everybody during that July 22nd to 25th timeframe. Um, but everybody really will, will be, once we solidify things and that should be a meeting that we have tomorrow anyway. So once we solidify that in our internal processes, we'll be putting out newsletters so people can sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of our website. Um, our social media is Chronicle Collectibles on Facebook and, uh, Instagram. And then we're Chronicle LLC on Twitter. Um, so people can follow us, you know, chat with us uh we got all kinds of crazy but we'll we'll have some exciting things the week of comic-con to make up for the fact that we can't be there for everybody like we have been in the past
1: yeah well definitely hopefully we can get you back on around that time we have some big news to share uh and hopefully at that time we can talk more about the uh 12 scale stuff that we weren't able to talk about today but uh yeah guys check them out chroniclecollectibles.com they're headquartered here in texas so obviously that means they're good people and uh amy again big thank you for coming on our show uh if we wanted to send you guys like a swag bag can we just send it to the like is there a special address that you can send me we can send you uh, a little thank you package
2: yeah and vice versa we'll we'll get on email and and that. okay cool you guys will swag back too yeah just send me like a fifth scale
1: rex you know i mean (laughs) (laughs) he's got one i need one (laughs) no i'm just kidding no 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 yeah we'll definitely exchange pleasantries uh via email and uh definitely if we can get you on uh during sdcc week that would be that'd be fantastic and uh again thank you dylan dean uh and amy for joining us today
2: Zach Dylan
1: Dean, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Amy. Dean, we need a we need a good old bye from you, Dean. Oh, your mic is muted. Oh my god. Oh my god. I was like, oh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you I saw you talking and I was like, what is going on?
2: <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want my dog making any noise. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.